Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Law. I am joined by my co-host Rick Blaylock and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good, Cesar. Good to see you, man. It's happy, good to be back. Happy New Year, even though it's three months into it. <laughs> yeah, probably we should say happy 2021. We haven't recorded in a while, so and happy yeah. 2022. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but we talk often, so that's it's always good. So yeah. what is up, Rick? What are you working man, on these days? I've been so busy. You know, last year I went full-time, well, yeah, December a year ago. December, I went full-time on fish rules, you know, just to kind of blow it up, you know, to grow it. Cause it was mm-hmm. getting to the point where it's like, we need to do something with it. We talked about this in another podcast. So I went full-time on it. And it's amazing how, when you focus on something, you can make things go so far and so fast. So we really did. We, we grew a lot. We added lots of new features. We actually rewrote the app too, just for future proving some things. And, uh, Long story short, we actually got acquired. <laughs> so actually Fishbrain, these guys right here, nice. they acquired us. We we signed the deal in December, did the deal. And now I'm part of Fishbrain. And now Fish Rules and all the data and all the stuff that we have that we've offered our customers is now going to be part of Fishbrain. So it's been a it's been a really crazy year last year, awesome. which is really cool. Hey, that's great. So first of all, congratulations. Uh, second... So what was the fish rules? Because I, I remember you working on that app for a while ago. So when did you start that? Like 2013 or so? 2014? No, before that, 2011. <laughs> 2011. Yep, we started 2011. Okay. Back in the accelerator days. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it took you nine years to decide that you wanted to be full-time. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and then exactly. in a year, you were like, oh, yeah, great. We we added a bunch of features and we have a lot of more users and then the opportunity came in and you sold it. Awesome. That's, I mean, for, I know you, it was always your side project and it was something mm-hmm. that you used to keep yourself up to date. So um, I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of those like side hobby projects that turned out to be, uh, we launched it and all of a sudden like the sheriff of the keys wrote and said, Hey, I'm going to put it on all the waterway signs download fish rolls and we're like oh we, we hit a nerve there and then we started getting all these all this interest and it's like okay we're doing something and all of a sudden now the federal government or federal agencies wanted a partner and then states wanted to partner and so it's kind of cool how that happened with, with zero marketing spend like we didn't spend any money on marketing it's all grassroots and so it grew and grew and grew um so it's really cool to take something that's like a passion project and it's useful for people and then finding out it's actually useful for lots and lots of people and other companies. So it was, it's, it's been a great journey. I'm so glad we did it. <laughs> yeah. I remember one of the last features was uh, freshwater, right? Where the app turns like kind of like green. So you have to theme it out and that was, that was nice. And then I guess it grew organically because you were solving an issue, right? Uh, right. Having to carry your book where I am, how many fish can i get of this type i was just looking at one of the videos that you sent me and it's like it depends where you when you took off in your boat like there are so many rules on that that 
it seems crazy. So if you have like, hey, I have this, and I think yeah. you added a service where you will identify some fish also in the last year, right? Like you will pay and you will have somebody, an actual human identifying the fish right. for you. Yep. Nice. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the freshwater thing really helped us grow. Actually, it's funny. So we partnered with the state of Florida. They're one of our customers and they said, okay, if we're going to partner. You have to add freshwater because we always had saltwater. And uh, we did, and we actually grew that year when we added it. When was that? 2019, I think. We grew 40%. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, like we already had several hundred thousand users, and then we grew 40% from that. So that was a big deal. That's awesome. What's the, like, how different was it freshwater than, than saltwater? Like, so, technical it, speaking. Yeah, it's so your fish rules it's geolocation aware. So it, it figures out where you're at and it has all these spatial boundaries that sit on top of each other and, you know, point polygon algorithm to figure out, Oh, you're in this one. And then that determines what regulations apply. And so fish rules handles all that for you. So you don't have to worry about it. And so with saltwater, there's lots and lots of polygons that you can be, you can be in Monroe County, but you're in the ocean you could be in the Gulf or the Atlantic if you're in Monroe County, because that's the keys. But then there's like a special permit zone. There might be a marine protected area you're in. So it's all this stuff. So that applies to freshwater too, but it's usually much, the, the polygons are much more simple. What makes, what makes freshwater harder is that there's a bazillion lakes in some of these states, like Texas, they regulate a gazillion lakes and they're all different. This one, you can catch two bass a largemouth bass and this one you can catch one and this other lake you can catch three and then, so that's what makes it harder is that there's just all these different locations that are lake specific so it's um, a lot of geo boundaries or geo mm -hmm. fences that you gotta cross yeah okay. and and sometimes the states don't have the boundaries they just say oh lake so-and-so and it's like well where's that at well it's over here on the map and it's like yeah, but like legally, where's it at? Like, where, where's the boundary? Do you not have a boundary for the lake? No, we've never made one. So sometimes that that's a problem. <laughs> we end up making the boundaries. And in, in fact, some cases, the, the agencies have asked us for the boundaries. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. then you have all the way from Maine all the way to Hawaii. You have regulations everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Maine to Texas, saltwater, California, Hawaii. Bahamas, U.S. Caribbean, and then freshwater. We've got the, all the Gulf states, including Florida, and we just added Ohio this past month, and we added North Dakota last month, and we're adding more and more and more. So, and that's one of the cool things with the Fish Brain Partnership is, or them acquiring Fish Rules is, now all of those regulations will be available to their 14 million users. So now everybody gets that, you know, gets all the regulation information which helps with fishery sustainability and all that. And then it enables us to move fit, uh, faster to add yeah, regulations course. for these other states, which is great. There's gonna, it's not only going to be you doing all of that work. It's going to be a team or something like that. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. They are based in Sweden, I think. Yeah, the main headquarters is in Sweden. They have a, a fish brain entity here in the United States. But okay. yeah, the, the main company is in Sweden. It's in Stockholm. Okay. And right across from Spotify. Interesting. So are the 14 million users like spread across the globe? Like, is this taking it to 
to the entire earth or is it mainly focused on us or some specific areas no that's a good question so it's i think it's like 10 million of our users are in the us something like that okay so a good 70 percent. okay mm -hmm. yeah. awesome all right man congrats yeah it's exciting it's been it's been a <laughs> lot of fun it's a drinking from a fire hose as it is as the saying goes since december so but i'm excited to start this podcast back up so man it's yeah it's New about year. time yeah, tons of things in the backlog we have a list of all the things that we want to do friction locks about and they just yeah. keep piling up and we haven't been able to get them going so it's always good uh hopefully it's going to be a good cadence every week every two weeks but that's that's great so what have you been up to i know you said uh, i talked to you the other day and you said you were using carbon for some yeah. things and you know it's funny i remember when i was working at ibm carbon was just starting to be a thing but it, they didn't have a react component library they didn't have anything it's just like the first idea so so what's that what's that like working on that what are you doing okay with that? So I keep working mainly on the integration suite, right? So that's, let's put it my half a day work, which is like all integrations and container native deployments and things like that, OpenShift, mm -hmm. Kubernetes and stuff like that. The other half of it is actually making things efficient for our team. Like many big companies, it's spread into small teams and those small teams have to be efficient in, in we're spread across the globe. So very asynchronous communication and we happen to be using Trello. Right. So there was this need to create a dashboard using Trello data to provide some visibility to other teams to uh, really control what we were working on. It's really hard because my team can spend like three months working in a Trello card or it can be in two hours. Right. Depending on how big things are, who's really the customer, what's the product. So right. trying to make sense of all of those metrics. Trello is awesome, but there is not really a way to visualize metrics out of Trello cards, uh, right. right? You only have the right. list and you move them and, and stuff like that. So I started to build this product where I, in this initial release, I am pulling data from Trello. Let's say I have the webhook API to receive updates. So once it's live, it can continue to go on and it's going to be more efficient. Mm -hmm. It puts it into a MongoDB with at that point, I'm already doing processing, right? So I'm following some patterns of bucketing and stuff like that. And then I have an API uh, that I just built with Express.js. And then I have a Next.js app in the front of it. So the next JS app is, I didn't have to worry about theming because as you said, it, there is Carbon. Carbon is IBM's design language or design system where it's very corporate-y very enterprisey, so it's of mainly course. like black and stuff like that. It is very square as well, not a lot of curves, <laughs> but it is a design system. And everybody right. that has used an IBM product has probably seen it. And even internally, a lot of tools use it. So if you have been into a, a public GitHub page that it also uses it. So there, there's, it's just everywhere. So I just wanted to go and give it a try. Uh, and they have a React component and it includes everything from the style guide, like the shell UI with the top bar and the left menu and stuff like that. It includes graphs, which is kind of amazing how they work. They actually perform fairly well and it includes icons, right? They think about like hero icons and stuff like that. And all of it is component-based, you just plug and play. Uh, so I'm having a. Role is it with that. your old? Uh, is it is it your own chart system, or do you guys use something else under the covers? So far, it is a carbon 
graph package. I don't hmm. know if it's based on something else though. Um, it is open source, so anybody can go and take a look at it. If you want to make a an app that looks very IBM-y, you can <laughs> definitely do it. I don't know who is But does doing it, it use outside. Tailwind, Cesar? Does it use Tailwind? Does That's not. the question. Okay. That's, that, that's I, the only I, thing I care about. Okay. <laughs> wait. So I happen, even though it doesn't use uh, Tailwind, I use, I, I'm bad at CSS. Like I have never been the best at CSS in general, but I, the Tailwind, the website, right? With the documentation of everything, it's amazing to search stuff and to really is, like yeah. flex and stuff like that. So even though I'm not using Tailwind, I have it on the side and I kind of like know what I'm looking for on Tailwind and I, I see what the CSS is and I just use that. So now that's really interesting. So wait, I, so you reference Tailwind's docs to write CSS for, man, that's so interesting. I wonder if, um, you should ping the Tailwind guys and just tell them that, that that's a really interesting, um, side it's, effect to having really good docs on your your, I don't know what they call it, the CSS utility, or I don't think they call it a framework, but that's yeah, so curious, huh? Because, I mean, I can use CSS, and I, I think it uses by default as CSS. So it, it's just, to me, it's easier to search. Like, if I, if I look for CSS, there's obviously, like, CSS tricks and things like yeah. that that I can go and find. But as a good reference, Tailwind focuses on best practices for CSS, right, for styling. So, and I have used them enough to understand like what i'm looking for there mm -hmm. and i just revert like use the translations that they have not it's not reverse engineer but it's kind of fun actually it it made things uh way simpler whenever i was trying to do some layouts so <laughs> yeah that's so interesting huh that i mean it's like it's almost a study in like hey you write really good documentation or really good uh, on a on a framework or utility thing and people use it not for that but for the core else. parts that's so interesting huh yeah hilarious absolutely hilarious well the thing is i love T tailwind and we just like what last quarter we redid our website and it's all in tailwind so i'm happy yep. about that <laughs> and in next.js it's all in next.js tailwind and, and we're using the mdx the markdown what does the X stand for for MDX? I don't even know. Extra. I don't know. But, I don't know, I don't yeah. know what it means. But yeah, we have a new website open. I think it's it looks way better. Just in general, a little bit simpler. We got rid out of the CMS. We're now using we're now using just markdown files, as you said. Nope. So yeah. Anybody can go and check that it MDX out. thing's pretty cool too, though, because you can what you do is you register components, React components, and then you can use those React components in your markdown. Inside the markdown. Which, which is pretty cool. I, I'm a little worried about how that scales. So you have 10,000, 15,000 articles, and then mm -hmm. you switch systems. What happened? I mean, that's 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 pretty rough. I, I think it's, it's we can call it vendor lock-in maybe, but it is yeah. a... A paradigm lock-in, right? You have to go somewhere where MDX is going to be supported. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're trying to move off of it and move into something else, that that is a nagging thing in my head. Is like, well, what happens when you'd have to write some, you know, parser or something and either remove it or convert it to wherever you're going, you know? And a lot of the blogs with a static side generation, they like you need to structure the the files 
very well, right? They have a good folder structure. And it's one of the things that you never think about because every tutorial that you find is going to be about making a blog and they just tell you to put it on a folder. <laughs> but so I mean, <laughs> we just have a couple of docents and, and you have to think like, oh, do I... How do I organize this by year, by month, even though probably dates is not the best uh, thing. But at the same time, it's kind of great that you just store everything in GitHub and it just gets deployed out of it. So, yeah, yeah uh, that's, that's cons. the power of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that is not why we're here. We are here to talk about a friction log that you did the first time experience last quarter, actually, of a tool called fake.io. Yeah. And I, I did, I, I just, I, I, there's an article actually, if you can read my first time experience that's on our website and frictionlog.com. And it was a pretty good experience, but since then they've actually launched their, I think, is it 1.0 they've officially launched or whatever. So I was using, I guess it was a beta. I got a, it was one of those private invite things. So now that it's 1.0, you know, we figured we'd give it a a fair shake. And since you haven't used it, you did your own friction log. So real quick though, let's jump into it. So let's talk about what it is. So fig.io is a CLI type thing, but can you, can you give me a, a better description than, Hey, it's a terminal, a new terminal. Like, what do you think it is? So fig.io to me is the, it's an VS code autocomplete like tool for the CLI, right? For terminal or for iTerm or whatever you use. It gives you basically autocomplete, which we happen to be in the transition, at least everybody that uses uh, Mac, we happen to be in the transition from, uh, I guess, Bash to uh, ZSH, uh, which ZSH has a, a ton of plugins and one of those are autocomplete, but it's different, right? You can actually have them working together. So that's how I would describe it. What it is it, to you. Is that how they describe it? They describe it as like VS autocode or I, VS, VS code, VS code auto complete for, yeah. for the terminal. I think that's how they do it. Yeah, is, we'll is have that's to check how they the describe site, it. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Which makes sense. At least yeah. their marketing was good enough that I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. I mean, that, that's what stood out to you. That's interesting. I don't actually remember what their marketing site, how they pitch it, but I did reinstall in this last week just to play with it some more. And hopefully I can keep it installed. Actually, in my friction log, I mentioned the blocker for me was the history just stopped working completely. But I had, like, yeah, I, you hit up arrow and there was nothing. Couldn't I hmm. like, I, I reinstalled it. I did all, and it, I just couldn't get it to work anymore. So that's why I uninstalled it back in September. But I haven't had any problems now. So that's good. When it was in beta, it was invite only. You invited me, I installed it. And I think I just had it running in my personal computer for, for a while. I don't use the terminal in my personal that much to really have been using it. That's why I consider what I did in the last two, three weeks, first time experience, because I also installed it in my work computer, which I found very, I found very good things that we're going to talk about it on, on the delights, of course. So but never actually fail. There was one nuance, but I just restarted it. And and yes, it's, it's pretty good. So as you said, it's now available for everybody. Just go and, and download it. And it's actually pretty great. Yeah. Um, so how does it compare to, to Z-Shell autocomplete? I'm, I'm just curious. Like, Because you, you said they can both run at the same time and they're for different use cases. Like, How does that work? Like, what, what's the? Can you give me an example of that? 
So fake will give you autocomplete with all the different options based on the tools, right? Which means they have to build some sort of plugin system to, let's say you have a visual CLI. So you can build a, a file that allows them to discover the autocomplete portion of it, which is pretty great. A ZSH has, has a, I believe it's called, the plugin is called Auto Suggestions that basically uses your own history and gives you suggestions about what you're doing, right? So that is more like based on what you're doing as opposed to based on what the tool can do. So they can complement each other. And at like to some degree, if you are not careful, you can get confused between one and the other. Like, mm -hmm. do I want to autocomplete or do I want to just hit tap and go to the command that I execute? But we, as developers, we happen to reuse the same commands over and over again. So the Z shell right. auto suggestion actually has worked pretty well for me uh, since Mac OS Catalina, maybe whenever they, they start moving into that as the default one on Mac OS, right? I actually disabled the auto suggestions on, on Z shell just because I wanted to give it a kind of like a try just fake by itself. And it was, I mean, so far so good. I'm literally going to go open this right now and see if I did that or if it's, a, I bet you I didn't do that. So I've got both of them enabled. Yeah. Well, and then Z shell has all the, all my Z shell plugins and themes and stuff like that. So there's plenty of customization you can do there. And I mean, I, I did a bunch based on what I read in the internet. I wouldn't claim to do it myself out of like, oh, I want to make my own team and things like that. And it works, it works with it. Uh, it works pretty well. So who do you think it's for? I mean, obviously developers, right? Yeah, I think it's developers. I, I mean, it, it really just anybody who uses the command line. I think that's the persona, right? It's, it's make the, per, make typing easier in the, in the, in the terminal. what do you think of the install process? Cause that was one of my delights when I tried it back in the fall was it was kind of like magic it's like boom 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 pick a theme and it just works out of the box it does it's some kind better. of weird shady things under the covers like wait you touched my z show and you didn't tell me but uh no i don't know if it still does that but what did you think of the install process it it's still super fast it's like five clicks and i think the only permissions that you gotta give is accessibility oh, on on right. mac os so but i mean it does detect like in my case i have iterm as opposed to terminal it's what i use mm -hmm. it detects it i actually have it as a delight that whenever i did the last step and yeah i went to try it out or to follow the their tutorial on how it works it actually opened iterm as opposed to terminal which i think they are good assuming that hmm. everybody that installs iterm probably doesn't use terminal so i i'm pretty sure like they just check if the executable is there yeah. but i mean it feels great right you're you're taking already something that i like and you're adding to it right it works on both and it gets installed in both both so but it was uh pretty good the one persona that that we don't often think, I guess, is the DevOps mm -hmm. that use a lot of CLI commands and a lot of that. And I have some notes there on the lights once we get into that, thinking about that persona that I think it's it's a good thing to go and try it out. Right, right. Did Now, one of my old friction logs that I put in as a friction for this was that it asked me to sign in with a working... You don't actually have to do that. Did they ask that again? I, I don't really remember... 
they do ask for an email. I can't remember if it's at work or not, but it is a required step. And I actually have it as a friction myself because mm -hmm. um, there is no synchronization between the future. Like if I give you my email and I'm using it in three computers, then I would expect like some sort of like, oh, you have my account and my settings, right? Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. they don't. Right. They don't do anything like I... I check what they are doing with the email. Mostly it's just marketing emails. They're trying to gather feedback. Okay. So, which is also another friction, right? So you sign up the first time, you put your email, you did your personal, they, they're not checking like public domains, like Gmail and whatnot, but they send you like after like three days, they will send you an email like, hey, how's it going? Check this out. And then probably like after 10 days or so, they will send you an email saying, hey, would you like to share the feedback? Right. I use the same email as I did the first time. And this is the work install was probably the third install. So I had my personal, then I switched the personal and then the work. I always got the same emails. Like even though I'm using the same emails, they're marketing system things that I'm yeah, a yeah. new user. So yeah, um, right. I'm pretty sure that's something that can be easily fixed. It's just a little bit annoying like do you know who i am or not because this is the third time that i'm getting you my email so minor friction nothing to do with the experience of using the tool but i can only assume why they will ask for work email because i guess yeah. having domains that are from companies you can claim that they are using it right think about my ivm email right they're saying oh somebody in ivm is using us and well and then you're, you're also the it's easier to identify that you're a potential customer Enterprise. yeah exactly yeah yeah it makes sense yeah i mean i would do the same thing too <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I wouldn't blame the them <laughs> <laughs> right yeah okay cool so right. what about what else you have yeah so what about like let's get down into like the nitty-gritty so my my time when i use it when i made the friction log i wasn't at that time using a lot of a lot of command line stuff because this was during the acquisition phase so I, I just wasn't in it a lot because i was busy doing business stuff but when i was it was really simple commands it was spinning up a couple servers running our you know, like fish rolls is built in react native so running some react native commands it was really simple sometimes cocoa pods it wasn't really heavy duty terminal work but what, yeah. like how did you use it because you, you so, might have, you might have different use cases because I know some of the stuff that you do is a little different than that. Yeah. So when you say I was doing business stuff, you were basically building PowerPoints as opposed to coding. Is that what you what you mean? Eh, with it wasn't. Stuff? It wasn't that boring. It was not <laughs> that boring. It's kind of like it's. Did you did you watch the the meta announcement that Zuckerberg did? I did. Okay. Yeah. You you know the part where they're trying to get you all excited about meta as a business thing as like a, a work productivity thing, a workplace. And, yeah. And so you have like the VR goggles on and it's literally these virtual avatars presenting an Excel PowerPoint in virtual reality. And I'm like, well, it's boring in real life. Why would this be exciting in the metaverse? Like, wait, could we just reimagine this please to be exciting? <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, Tim Cook, whenever he, he talks about like building slides and in Keynote and stuff like that, like in AR and like, what if the future is like, you can see the AR charts all over there. I'm like, no, that's not, it wasn't fun before. This is so boring. Can we think of another idea, please? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not doing no charts at all. But, yeah, right. <laughs> um, 
going back to your questions, I do like whenever I like this project that I'm working on, right? I I actually on purpose didn't put Mongo in a Docker image. So I'm running it in my machine. Okay. I'm running the Express API. I am running the next uh, client. And for the import process, the initial import, I run a, just a node script, right? So four things, it's it's a good idea. But the next phase is deploying it, right? So it's all containers. And Sorry, I noticed I, some- I, I get, let me interrupt you. I'm just really curious right now. Really curious. Are you using Docker, like the Mac Docker app, or have you bailed from- I, I, I don't know where this is coming from. I am- actually trying to use Podman. I don't like, I cannot say much, I guess. Docker, I know what we can say publicly, right? So Docker for Mac is now, if you use it in a company that it is more than, I don't know, 10,000 employees or something like that, mm -hmm. it is now in violation of terms of use. That being said, I don't know if IBM owns licenses or not, but when those announcements started probably like three months ago, right. I know like, Nobody had it, right? Nobody. Yeah, had like I literally don't know anybody that's using it anymore. Like yeah. it went from everybody had it on their Mac to like overnight, nobody's using it. Yeah. <laughs> so right now they actually Podman released version, four, which would be an interesting friction lock if we think about it. So I might, I might have some notes about that, but I'm trying mm -hmm. to not use it. At this point, I think we now have an agreement just because it's IBM and I'm pretty sure a lot yeah. of people use it. Right. But some of my teammates, which you talked to on Twitter, were also moving to Podman. So yeah, I know where, where that was coming from. So it does have an autocomplete for, you can do an, an alias to Docker and Fig will detect the autocomplete to build the image, which is actually pretty good. That's cool. Um, so that's good. But here's the thing, when I was talking about like DevOps or site reliability engineers, I manage a lot of OpenShift clusters, right? Kubernetes, uh, mm. Red Hat version of Kubernetes. And I always have like a concept of, for the people that are not into that, deployment is basically, you can set like three replicas of a Docker container running at the same time, right? Yeah. Each of those replicas will have a auto-generated ID attached yep. to it at right. the end, mm -hmm. which makes it really hard to debug pods or to see the status directly and things like that. You can do smart queries using the labels that, that Kubernetes is doing. And there are, there are many ways to do it. But sometimes you just have to go and look for one pod name. So what's interesting about Fig is you do like cube control, get pod, and then you do space. And when, when the autocomplete brings it up, it goes and fetches whatever you have in your doc in your Kubernetes session and it oh, will show wow. you that's really the container cool. name or the okay. pod names. That's that's pretty sweet. That's which yeah it basically it, it turns two commands into one. Yeah 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 right that's so that's it, amazing huh yeah so it and it does take into account the namespace you're on right mm -hmm. the the project so it also gives you all the other options but it's it's kind of like a, it, it is twice as much as as you will typically do so that that's my like if you want one reason and you work with containers in kubernetes you want one reason to try this out that is my sales pitch <laughs> i mean that's pretty legit that's that's great huh 
And so, they have a bunch of other other plugins that I haven't tried. They do a lot of uh, they do very good autocomplete on Git. Okay. Not a lot of people use Git on the CLI. They will use like PS Code or Tower, like you and I. But well, they do pretty a good lot of people do. there. I mean, it's it's half and half. But but do they do integrations like that too? Like you start doing Git branch whatever or check out, and it it like auto figures out the branches that you that are available, the remote branches and all that. It does. Okay, I believe that, so. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, so they're trying to go like one step, not just autocomplete for the sake of autocomplete, see, yeah. but instead in the context of where you are or what you're doing. Uh, I just tried it. There it is. Yeah, it 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 pulls it. It shows you all the remotes and yeah. all the locals. Okay, that's pretty sweet. I didn't even awesome. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> so that that's that's the gist of it. That should be enough for somebody to go and try it if they're they're watching this. But. I from your friction log, you contacted support at some point, and it was still a beta, so they were launching. What was the experience like? Because you have yeah, that it so, was right away. Like, yeah, it was, was it like nice? almost immediate. I think one of the founders responded, and it wasn't just they answered the question or they addressed it or they tried to troubleshoot it, which that all happened, but it was also a follow up. And it was very high touch, which is good. Now that's what you you know from if you put my startup hat on. You have to do that in a startup yeah. and you have to be religious about it, like psycho religious about it to build a good product. So that that actually stood out to me as, a, oh, they're really engaged on this, which means this will probably be a legit product because of that. So that that was, that was that's always a good sign, you know? Yep. Awesome. Glad to hear that. All right. Is there any other friction, the lights or blockers? I know you have that blocker when the history stopped working. And mm -hmm. it's recorded on the initial friction log. I mean, that's fine. It was a beta product, but is there anything else you want to call out? Uh, I'm trying to think what else blockers or frictions that I ran into. I can't think. Well, I, there, I don't remember if they tell me this or not, but they do edit your Z shell file. And they, I don't remember them telling me that. And like when I just popped it up a minute ago to check the autocomplete on Z shell, it's up at the top and it's like commented, Hey, this is for fig and everything else is fine. So they don't touch the rest of it, which is cool, but they have the thing at the top where they load their, their scripts and stuff. So on one side, it's a light cause they figure all that out and they just do that for you and it's magic and you don't have to do anything. So that's cool. But I don't recall them telling me they did that. And because those RC files are so kind of precious, you know, It'd be kind of nice to know, hey, this is what we did. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at mine right now. So it, it actually does something at the beginning. Right. That's what mm -hmm. you were saying. And it does something at the end. So they prepend something mm. and they append something at the end of the file as well. They do it's, both. It's all spyware is what it is. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. A lot of people are sensitive to that. It would be nice just to know, right? Like what's happening and, and things like that. But yeah, nothing like all my aliases and things that I have, they are there. Yeah. I just did something at the beginning and at the end. Well, that was my first worry. Like when I when I installed it and I popped it open, I was like, okay, does this my ADB path still in there? Is my cocoa pass pods path still in there? Is my like I I literally went through and which, 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 just to make sure everything was there. And I'm like, okay, they must be using my conf my config file. And then I open it up and I'm like, oh, there it is at the top. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Did they take a backup of your, no, they probably use Z shell RC file. I don't think so. Right. 
Because that's, uh, that's a good question. Let me see here. That's that's the old uh, way to do things, right? You will always take a backup, actually put it, uh, copy it, and put a dot b a k. Oh, there it is. Z Z shell or ZRC backup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you have the backup? I don't see mine. ZSRC backup. Let's see. Let's cat this baby. See what it is. I do have a backup, but it is before I install, they generate a file called .zshrc.preomyzsh. But I don't see one. They have a folder, a .fig folder, and a .fig.files back thing mm. as well. I mean, maybe my .zshrc.backup, maybe that was generated by something else, but I don't know why or what it would have, what it would have been. Yeah, auto-complete. I'm looking at the files. They have a bunch of things there. Oh, yeah, there's a .fig, .files, .back. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's the one that I had. No, there's nothing in that one. Yeah, okay. I don't know. It's, uh, but anyway, the point is, on one, it's, it's, like, it's, it's a coin. On one side of the coin, it's really cool that it just works, and they figure all that for you but then there's this nagging thing in the back of my head it's like what did it do <laughs> what's going on <laughs> i guess just tell me right like hey we're gonna add this like in order for fig to work we gotta add something at the beginning of your config file something at the end just just so you know and that's the only thing we do yeah or or maybe don't even tell you just give you the option to find out like maybe because that right that when you install that install experience and screen is so clean and so there's nothing that like it just feels easy so if you had to like explain a bunch of stuff then that starts feeling heavy so maybe maybe there was and we just missed it maybe there was something to find out what we did i don't know but yeah that's definitely Sweet. a thing <laughs> awesome well that's that's today's tool. That That's all I have on my end as well. It's always good to be back. It feels good to geek out on some of these things. Back in black. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. I'll talk to you next week. And, well, we'll probably talk every day, sending weird tools that we got to try it out. But we have a couple. <laughs> cool. All right. Until next time. All right. Thanks, man. Yep, see you.